All right, so um, I'll answer this question first because I was getting a lot of questions. This, this boot is from the old, some of you knew I fractured my foot four weeks ago and just been walking on it and they've been telling me not to walk on it. And since I was stubborn and didn't go get a cast, now I've got to wear this for six weeks and if it doesn't heal by then, then surgery. So penance. So that's, that's why I'm walking around this thing. It wasn't um, necessarily I wanted it. I saw it and asked them, can I customize it because it's a little bit high. Can I chop it down? They said no. So I'm in that. So that's what that is. Um, the other thing is, is uh, we, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I might have been uh, duped here. I think somebody probably bribed the VA to put me in that so I couldn't move around as much on the project because yesterday the Benton County inmates are out there helping us. Apparently I wasn't running the skid steer the way they liked it so they had me, told me to park it and uh, I kept getting run off from the project so maybe maybe this is a conspiracy I don't know to keep me out of there all right well they did have to fix some forms I busted through with the skid steer so that might be part of it too all right well um, <clears throat> so uh, very shortly when we get done with the framing I mean it's going to be game on then because since we are not allowed to use volunteers as of now for electrical and plumbing but got favorable bids those guys both move pretty quick and I anticipate once we get the walls up and get the trusses on we'll probably see those guys blowing in there and, and, and things will move pretty quickly and uh, so we'll uh, be glad to have you out there right now it's a mess with all the dirt work and you know <laughs> getting the pad and it'll be a lot more fun for you come out I'm sure when we get to framing because things will be picked up a little bit out there and uh, be a little easier to get involved so excited about that all right well <clears throat> in honor of my moon boot I'm wearing how many, of, uh, how many of you watched the eclipse, the solar eclipse? Okay, how many, I hope you didn't watch it with your bare eyes. Okay. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, we, we had a little fun. So my kids homeschool, as most of you know, and so part of their science project, I took a little time out at the project. They came out, we built a, um, with a cardboard tube, built a way to look at it, like a, a scope for it. And uh, they built little viewers, and so we had a good time. And then I... I found out a welding helmet works. Uh, I did find out you don't want the kind that uses solar power to darken because all of a sudden I got a flash of that when it got enough light was covered that the screen quit darkening. So you'd want to use one that doesn't. But that was pretty cool. You know, um, people are going crazy enough about it that I guess in the optimal places, I don't know if it's true, I heard that sometimes people were charging up to $1,000 a night for a hotel in those places. They had so many people coming in, even from... I don't know if in Canada and, and, and across the United States, but anyway, just people uh, went nuts about that. So, I mean, it was a neat event, but at the end of the day, it's going to happen again eventually, you know. So, but in October of 1957, the Soviet Union launched the first satellite into space, Sputnik. Now, how many remembers when that happened? Oh, you told on yourself. The Russian scientists were thrilled at their achievement, even though they lost contact. Uh, lost contact only 22 days later. It's great when you put it up there and then bad when you can't get a hold of it anymore, right? So in November of the same year, the Soviets launched another satellite, this time the first living creature ever to orbit the Earth. Does anybody remember what that animal was? It was a dog. What were you going to say? Chimp? No, not that time. It was... Lakia or Lakia or however you pronounce it, a Siberian Husky mixed dog. And again, Russian scientists patted themselves on the back. 
And in only two months, they proved that they could send a man-made object into space that, that a living creature could survive in orbit. It was technologically a marvel. The whole world marveled that they were able to do this. And then the world sci scientists were in awe. Uh, most of the world, anyway. See, the Americans were not impressed because how many knows America always has to be first, right? And so they were supposed to be first. We were, um, by the way, I'm doing things old school. I'm not using my iPad tonight, so I'm, I'm using pages. Um, the United States was supposed to be the first leader in technology and freedom, and they were beaten into space by a godless communist. Now think about it. Some of you that, that were old enough to remember when that happened, how did we feel about the Soviet Union back then? We were mad at them. We were mad at them. Mostly driven by fear. We were afraid they were, they were powerful and they wanted to take us out. And so um, this was uh, salt in the wound that they were first. So we were supposed to be the leader in technology and freedom and beaten in space by this godless communist country that was just so evil in our minds. So, so the, the political leaders of the time, they just couldn't stand it. Well, the space program had already started development on a satellite in 1955, so they hurried to finish so they could launch before the end of the year. Now, I can tell you this, if they're going to put me on that thing, I'm not getting on if they rushed, but they rushed, and they invited reporters all over the world, they, they including the Soviet Union, to see their amazing accomplishment, and it didn't exactly go well. Some of you know this from, from uh, watching the news at the time, but the rocket made it a whole four feet off the ground, before falling straight back down and exploding. Now, I, I'm um, young enough, I remember, or old enough, however you want to put it, that the Challenger, remember when the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up, they actually had school children watching when we were watching that. And uh, I remember the thought, I was at um, Westside Elementary in uh, Rogers, if I remember right. And I'm thinking, I don't think it's supposed to do that. I remember as a kid, uh, thinking something's gone really wrong. Well, this one, the United States humiliated again because of their failure. So in just a few days later, the Soviet ambassador to the United Nations asked if the United States was interested in receiving aid from the Soviet Union, specifically reserved for undeveloped countries. The United States was the laughingstock of the world, at least from Russia's perspective. So like anyone would do in the face of humiliation, they got to work. And in 1958, we successfully launched Explorer 1. And it was basically a reconstructed Vanguard satellite. They just reconstructed what they'd already tried. So Explorer 3, Explorer 4, Explorer uh, Pioneer 1, and SCORE, the world's first communication satellite. And we kept launching rockets as we went. So uh, the space race. In 1961, President Kennedy gave a speech to Congress where he said to the, the famous words, First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Now, some of you don't answer about me, but how many at your job have been under a leader that speaks a little bit too quick and you're hearing them say, we're going to do this, and you're like, oh. You know, I, I remember, you know, it's like I brought up several times when I first became pastor here, the Lord had downloaded me that we we're going to start a Hispanic work and we we're going to do this and that. And I thought he meant all right then. So I had a meeting, special meeting with the board and laid all out. This is what we're doing. We're starting Hispanic ministry. We're starting this. We're doing this. We're doing this. It's probably like 10 or 11 pages, right, of, of just vision casting. And uh, that year passed and the next year passed and, you know, it wasn't happening. And uh, it took four years before we started Hispanic ministry, uh, Spanish-speaking ministry. 
So, of course, you guys all know how it ends. In 1969, the United States was the first and only nation to successfully land a man on the moon and bring him back. It would have been entirely too easy for us to give up after failure in 1957. I mean, or the 18 failures in 1958, or the 9 failures in 1959, or the 13 failure, failures in 1960. I mean, how would you like it if your failures, see, as a nation, your failures are recorded down by the whole world. How would you like it if the whole world is watching every time you fail? Of course, with social media, sometimes that's truth. If we put it out there, it's out there. But the Americans working in the space program did not quit. Neither did the Israelites, though they tried for a season. In the book of Haggai, um, God sends the prophet Haggai to encounter the Israelites to continue building the temple. Tonight we're looking at the same historical event, but through the message God gives to the prophet Zach Zechariah. So the book of Zechariah can sp be split in two parts. We've got each one uh, full of encouragement to the Israelites and their uh, governor, Zerubbabel. But this first part of Zechariah takes place at the same time as the book of Haggai. Chapters 1 through 8 is Zechariah encouraging the Israelites to continue rebuilding God's temple in Jerusalem. Now, you've got to understand, we've talked about this so many times, but do we really grasp Israel seems to always be the underdog, right? I mean, not the fact that they don't have victories. I mean, God lives them great victories, but they keep messing up, and God allows them to go into captivity, and so they just can't hold the fort. They can't hold the position. It'd be like, you know, I'm not big on football. It'd be like watching a football game where it's just like the team that you're rooting for, you know, starts to win and goes back, starts to win. The whole game is back and forth. It have you on edge. And so, you know, as we read about the Israelites, we're always on edge. Like when, if you didn't know how it was going to end, right, you'd be on edge with their story. It goes back and forth. Well, chapters 9 through 14, though, are meant to act as an encouragement to the Israelites after the temple was completed. See, in many ways, the Israelites are like the Americans of the 1950s. They were God's chosen people, but they expected to always get the best things in life thanks to special status. And that's one of the problems with pride. See, we, we've taught our children, we've taught our, our communities over decades to be proud in the United States. And, and I can understand where we're coming from. Take pride in what you do. It really is be good stewards. Be, be you know, all for who you say you're going to be. But at the same extent, we've let pride creep in and we thought we were untouchable and we thought we were this and we thought we were that. And now you've got people well-known people saying, we're no longer a great nation. We're no longer in the status we used to think because we, we say that, but, but at the same time, we look at what's happening in our own, uh, in our own uh, cities. You know, we've got riots and, and terrible things happening and people killing each, over, over each other over, over things that, that they should be able to talk about. And it's just, we, we see people burning their own communities over disagreements, over anger. See, soon the Israelites were humiliated when they got too secure in themselves and not in God, and the same things happened. They'd be conquered again by a foreign nation, one after another. And that has been my fear when we, you know, over the past few years when we talk about ISIS and all that's happening is that, you know, before we fought forces, you know, I, I was old enough to remember when we had Desert Storm, that felt pretty good. Now, I didn't really know all the details behind it, you know, other than some were saying it was about oil and some were saying other things, you know, we're liberating. But whether, whatever side of the fence you're on that, you know, I remember being in high school and hearing, I'm proud to be an American, right, and just chills up your spine and you're seeing the flag flying on the tanks and we're just kicking tail over there. Well, that's because they had an evil dictator forcing 
people, impoverished people to pick up a rival and go. Most of them, they said, didn't even have good shoes and didn't have the right equipment and they were, you know, willing to give up. They were putting the flags up. But now, we, we've thought, okay, we can handle anything and we've gotten proud, too proud, thinking we've always, were the Ryans are right and now we're being challenged by uh, ones that are more difficult to defeat and it's just compacting. So, you have to be careful that, uh, just like the children of Israel, that you don't get yourself in a place where you've gotten so secure in your knowledge of God's Word, in, in your church going, in, in your morals, if you will, that you forget to include God in an interactive relationship because pretty soon that religion that you're so proud of becomes a prison cell. It becomes the thing, it becomes the thing of your downfall. Just like we're seeing in the United States. The things that we thought we're so proud of about ourselves, has some of them has been our demise. You know, people are free to do whatever they want, right? And, we, and we've taught that and preached at the point, and, and sure we have laws, but we put heavy emphasis on what makes us so great is everybody has free speech. Everybody has freedom to do what you want. That's the greatest thing about the United States. The greatest thing was at one time, I think we could really say we're a Christian nation, and people were focused on, on what God had to say about things. Now it's every man to himself. And we're paying the price for that. King Darius of the Persians decided to allow the Israelites to return to their homeland even though they would still be subject to his rule. So they were, they were free to go to home, but they were still under his rule. And so they needed permission to go home. And this sounds an awful lot like what the Soviet ambassador said when he referred to the United States as an undeveloped nation, or an underdeveloped nation, excuse me. The Israelites were being mocked through the use of polite words. How many, how many have ever had somebody where they're, they're, they're that kind of person that'll say, you know, they're such a good person. But it's like my joke about no offense. Like when people say, no offense, but, you know you're getting ready to get offended, right? When they say no offense. That's the pre-qualifier that I, I feel like I have now leverage to be able to say anything I want because I'm pre-qualified with no offense. So it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're like, no take backs, right? You smack somebody, you know. Like, no retaliation, you're not allowed. Yeah, right, whose rule is that? That's your own. No offense, but I can say whatever I want about you, and you have to take it and smile. But the Israelites were being mocked through the use of polite words. When they get back to their homeland, they start building the temple, but they stop. It's just too difficult. they got to head on themselves and say, we need to take care of our own families first, then go back to the temple. Now, one thing I have learned about the character and nature of God is that when you make your priority about God's priorities, He'll make Himself about your priorities. In other words, when you worry about taking care of God's kingdom and, and sacrificing on your end to further His kingdom, He'll take care of your kingdom, if you will. You know, worried about your kids. Well, what if I, what if I give too much time to, to uh, evangelism? Or I do this, and what if I don't spend enough time with my kids? God, yes, you need to be a good steward of time with your family, but God will, he will take care of your, I, there's some of the examples I've beaten down I'm not going to use, but I'm just going to tell you, time and time again, God has proved to Jennifer and I that if we'll just invest ourselves in the kingdom, God will take care of our family. Now, there's times when God's not asking us to keep investing, and we keep going and push it too long, and then we're just worn out and grumpy, and we think, well, how do we get here? We're doing this for God, and we realize, no, we did it to appease people and not God. 
So they had, they had really failed because they set out to do something that their hearts weren't nearly in the right spot. spot. And this is like the attempted launch of the Vanguard rocket. The, te the temple only rose a few feet then just stopped hard. At this point, Haggai and Zechariah come into the picture. Then the Lord speaks through Haggai and Zechariah to encourage the people to continue their mission to rebuild the temple. You know, encouragement comes sometimes through, through, uh, through strange ways God uses it. We were out here working on the, um, on, on the project, and I had been doing good. Real positive attitude, everything's going good. And, I, and just yesterday, day before yesterday, I can't keep track. Yesterday, it's just like I crashed emotionally inside. You know, and I know it was showing on the outside, but I just, like, my will to keep pushing just kind of stopped. And I was trying to mask it, but I had the inmates out there and, and um, the deputy, and I was trying to put a good face forward. But, I, you know, even the deputy said, yeah, you seem like something's wrong today. And I said, yeah, I just can't even think straight. And um, we're out there, and there's a young man. Uh, he, he's got to be in his early 20s, uh, one of the inmates. And I, we, we went to eat lunch. And we looked over, and I looked over, and I was going to get something to drink out of the ice chest. And he was sitting on it, and he was kind of facing away from me. I walked over and said, oh, excuse me, can I get a drink? I turned, when he turned, his face was just red, and he had just been bawling. And uh, he got up. I said, oh, no, you can sit back down. It's okay. And he took off and went and sat by himself way away from everybody, a rock pile. And, um, I got my ice cream, my homemade ice cream from mom, went over there and took up a pile of dirt next to him and asked him what was going on. And, that morning, he had come out there and he was working so hard, he, got, he found out his wife had called him in jail, said she was tired of it. She had left him, was filing divorce, for, uh, filing divorce, taking custody of the kids, and also was starting to date his best friend. And I said, man, you're dealing with that and you're out here trying to work. I said, that's, anybody be having a rough time with that. He was apologizing for crying. I said, I said crying's good. Crying indicates that the Holy Spirit is still able to break, break you down, you know, and get to you. The devil wants you to be hard and not to ever show emotion and not to ever break. And so we talked a little bit, and I was able to encourage him and, and uh, pray for him. And later before he left, I said, what time are you going to be able to talk? When are you going to talk to her again? So probably when we get back, I'm going to have time to call her. I said, we're going to stop and pray that something changes, right? And a few of the RVers, I think you all might have been talking to someone else, and then the Ericsons uh, got the chance to pray. And Dad, I think you were sitting there. Was it you sitting there? So we had prayer. This morning he comes up beaming. He said, I called her and she said, I've had a change of heart. You know, I just got emotional and, you know, and, and you know, he said, things are looking good. I said, praise God. You know, and he said, listen, my mom traded us kids for drugs and all kinds of things happened. And he said, and so I lost my way, but my grandparents raised me to believe in God and I know I once had a relationship with him. He said, I think it's rekindled. And I said, I'll tell you this, you don't have to think if you'll let loose and let God take control I said, it will be rekindled. <laughs> you don't have to question it. So, you know, here's the thing. My attitude immediately changed because God took a moment where I stopped being selfish enough to worry about somebody else instead of worrying about myself and said, you know what? What's the deal? And God took care of my emotional issue. And so I was fired up. I'm like, yeah, we're building a church. That's right. I'm not just building a building because it started feeling like one day I'm just building a building because all the negativity. I mean, I got people, you know, other people, other contractors, just everything bearing down. And I'm, and I'm thinking, man, I don't think I'm cut out for this God. And he encouraged me. But the Lord spoke through Haggai and Zechariah to encourage the people and to continue their mission to rebuild the temple. 
Then he gives them several promises in Zechariah chapter 8. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles or your, your smartphone with uh, Scripture, or you want to pretend like you're looking because uh, you're embarrassed because you don't have a Bible or that, and then you just nod and that's okay, we'll believe you. All right, Zechariah 8, 3 through 11. I'm just teasing. Zechariah 8, 3 through 11. If you're there, say there. If you need time, say hold on. You said there and hold on. You're not even turning anything, Jaden. So I started going back there with youth, my wife, and Jaden's quite the character. He's uh, if you if you want a little bit of pick me up, you talk to Jaden. All right. Uh, verses three through eleven, Zechariah eight. Here we go. Thus says the Lord, I have turned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Let me stop there for a minute. You know, one of the most exciting things about uh, pastoring New Song and being here before as pastor is this church, no matter how many families may come and go for different reasons, we always have lots of children here. And the, and the church always feels hot, healthy and vibrant because, you know, there's been times you can't hardly walk through that foyer on Wednesday nights because of all the kids. we got a few families that because of other things going on, they've not been able to be here a lot, but they, they've got eight or nine kids. And, uh, you know, we'll have 15 passenger vans out in the parking lot. And that's just that's a, a great thing to see God bringing young people in. I mean, that tells a pastor, hey, if I can't get through the older people, at least I got some coming up. I got a chance, you know? All right. So verse 5, And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. Thus said the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you whom in these days have been hearing the words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For we... Verse 10, for before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor, but now I will not deal with the remnant of these people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. Now listen, we don't often, because in our day and time, it's, it's, I don't think in their day and time it was much different. There's people, I'm sure, that ignored God. And there's others that listen to God. And God's trying to speak. And so many times he's trying to speak to us as a people, as a church. And there'll be some that will listen and some won't. But, but here's what God's saying. There's a time when he allowed things to be rough on them where there wasn't even wages for anybody. Whether you're a man or animal, there wasn't anything to earn. And you couldn't be protected from your foes. I mean, if we were in a country right now, if we were right now in Centerton where we had to worry about ISIS beating down our door next week and nobody had jobs, we had no resources for anything, everybody's starting to feel a little bit selfish because, right, if I don't have food on my table, then I can't worry about brother or sister so-and-so across there because i got to worry about my own family. And so it was a terrible time for them, and God is making a promise that there's going to be a time when they'll be playing in the streets again. 
You know, I, I, I read that and I think about, I don't know if they do this anymore. You know when they used to open up a fire hydrant and just let it spray down the street and the kids go out there and, you know, who cared about liability, whether you got your, your kid got rolled on the concrete 15 times because of the pressure. It was fun. I, I saw something one time, it might have been a movie or something where somebody was making a joke about that and they said, yeah, oh, it was Tim Hawkins. And when he was a kid, the bug spray people would come through the neighborhood spraying and, you know, now we worry about everything. They go out and say, hey, mom, the bug spray guy, and they go out and play in it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's true, but, but we, we just didn't worry about those kind of things, you know. Um, but there's a time when kids would be playing in the street. And, and uh, you know, when I was in Honduras on a missions trip, one of the coolest things about that, that country and their culture is they didn't have TV in a lot of villages, right? They didn't have electronics. Um, some of them didn't even have electricity. And so all there was was to spend family time. And you could walk through some of those villages, little mud huts, and their dad would be out there playing a guitar, and maybe it's all they could afford for entertainment, and they're singing. And we met a, a young family. Uh, the guy was helping build a, a school there, and uh, just the biggest smile on his face is kids. They all love Jesus, and they'd sing worship songs. And somewhere I've got a recording on it. If I could ever find that play, you can just feel the Holy Spirit coming right through the music. I mean, beautiful voices, and, and uh, but... But God's promised them there's going to be this time. You know, when God does it, it is uh, better than our wildest dreams of having the, the kids play in the street and the safety and all. And, you know, Centerton's supposed to be the best place to raise kids in all of Arkansas is what's been voted. And I still wouldn't let my kids ride their bike across three or four blocks without them in view. I, I mean, so, so we still live in a time that's fallen, and God's making them promise there's going to be a time when the people live at old age and they'll be... A, a, a time to celebrate that. But when Zachariah said this, some, the, some of the people thought that God said that he would send his presence to Jerusalem to dwell as soon as the temple was completed. And this isn't a completely crazy idea. After all, the presence of the Lord dwelt with the people in the Ark of the Covenant for generations. So the prophecy itself says that one, once the temple is finished, God will not treat his people the same way that everything that everything will be better, right? And so they, they put it in their own perspective. We a lot of times do that. God says something and we, we read into it. Um, this is a little trick I'll, I'll tell some of you who work in offices and deal with email and all. You should never send anything an email that could be read negatively or even neutrally. Only positive communication. I've learned my lesson sometimes and then sometimes I fail. But, but uh, w when people get to interpretation they can interpret how they want and so some of them thought okay he's going to um, do you know he's going to do what we think you ought to do that he's going to bring his presence in the temple and even now you know uh, the the Jewish people believe that one day they're going to be able to bring the Ark of Covenant into a rebuilt temple and then the presence of God will be there so they still believe that they can control where the presence if they could do that then then they will be fulfilled and they'll have the presence of God and what God's obviously referring to is this new covenant where one day God's people will be free of all these religious things. They'll be free of the slavery because God's going to uh, honor his people. But it doesn't say, say it in the way they thought. The Israelites thought that the prophecy said that as soon as the temple was finished, God would enter. And like if they put the final brick into place, whoosh, God would be there. And this is a good warning for us because I can tell you this, when we finish this building, it doesn't mean that automatically God's going to just build the body of believers that fill that building. You know, we've been saying this over and over. If we're not winning people to the Lord now, 
if we don't have fruit now, what, what do we, why do we think a new building will do that for us? Now, I'm going to talk real raw and honest here for a minute. Pastors are not beyond this. We get worried when we see numbers go down. But it's not numbers I'm concerned about. It's how little the baptismal tank is out here. Because it's been in the shed collecting dust. There's dust on it now. I'm going to have to clean it for the next one, right? We used to have it out here all the time. People are getting saved and baptized. And, and I get concerned that are we, are, we, are we getting lax? Are we getting too sidetracked, too busy with other things? And because we're still going to the grocery store where there's unsaved people. We're, we're still going to the gas station where we interact with people who don't know the Lord. Now, now listen, we're not talking about a quota because then they'll be like us. Because there's been a kind of Christianity where it's been about let's try to assimilate people to be like us. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who have broken lives, they have problems, they have addictions, they have broken families, and we have the answer for that. And if we hold it to ourselves, I mean, that'd be like someone having the answer, uh, the, uh, the cure to cancer, and not wanting to share it with anybody. Now, I want you to think about this, because I'm not saying this, I can only use the examples I personally live, okay? So this isn't the thing bragging on me, because I was in a bad mood, I told you, admitted. But that young man at the jail, what if nobody took the chance to go and walk over and talk to him? Now, I believe prayer answered his situation. He was so certain. He said, she said, I'm done. I'm filing for doors. I'm taking the kids. And less than 24 hours later, complete turnaround. And what happened during that holidays? He knows. We prayed. But I'm telling you, why do we think that has happened in a church service in a building? You know, you know, our mission field is outside of here, and, and you have so many interactions with people. I know you do. How much are we talking about the Lord? Now, I've said this before. People are in a mode of don't judge me, right? But I can tell you how to know if somebody's got the Lord, uh, they've got the Holy Spirit moving them, is if they can't shut up about the Lord. If they want to talk about the things of God, if it's always on their lips, if they're excited about the things of God, or if it's a matter of, oh, i got to get ready for church, and we might be doing this thing next week, and I'm really busy, and... I don't know if we can do that. Listen, I don't care if we have, I want us to fellowship. I want us to be a community. So when I say this, don't get me wrong. I don't care if we have any more fellowship dinners at all. If we're, if we're just trying to hold the fort down until Jesus comes, then, then I don't have any interest in that. Because I don't have any corner of the market on God's spirit or his word. Kids, there's not a junior Holy Spirit. It's not like the burger place where you can get a junior burger. Or your dad makes you order the junior burger <laughs> until you're 16. How many can you eat? How many burgers can you eat? Come on, be honest. Three. How many does your dad let you order? There you go. See? <laughs> Kids don't get to just order a single order of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is, I'm sorry, I'll pay, I'll pay later. I'll pay later. We had a discussion about this. Sorry, I brought an inside joke into the thing. We had a discussion about this. My boys are eating man size. I'll let you in. My boys are eating man-sized portions now. They can. And so I've said, man, it's getting more expensive because we go to a restaurant now. It's not kids' menu. He goes, I'm telling them, if your age is on the menu, right? If your age is on the menu, that's what you're ordering. I was like, man, I thought I was a disciplinarian, but I got showed up, one up. Well, my pocketbook wants to go along with you. So... Um, but there's not a junior Holy Spirit. Here, listen, this is, this is the thing. I don't know if you all believe I can preach on anything different, but God will not let me alone on this. Because I either have to reside to the fact that we're just going to be like 
so many other churches that just get absorbed in religious things and religious discussion and religious practice. Or we can do something that's going to be vibrant, fulfilling, and be right along with God's Word and be exactly what we say we're going to be. You know, I hate to use this example because I've been moving away from that. You know, I, I, I got out of the Christian Motorcycle Club and, you know, my connections, I still have connections with all the outlaw bikers and some of them that become Christians, that's great. So I haven't let go of them. They're still friends. But, but one thing that you can get in real bad trouble real quick with outlaw bikers with is if you, they find out you're not what you say you are. And I'm not talking about whether you're law enforcement or not. I'm saying if you just say you're one thing and then they see that you're another, Weird enough that there's certain a code of honesty and ethics when it comes to certain things and not others, but, but who you are and who you say are and your word is bond. And if you lie to a brother, I mean, it, it can end up very bad for you. And here in, in, a, in the church setting where we know God challenges us to always live with integrity and to do things with integrity and we say we're a believer and we say we believe God's word and it, it, there's a commandment to go and make disciples, but yet if we don't go and make disciples, where does that put us? Now, I'm not beating you over the head. I'm saying it's kind of a coach saying, come on, let's go. Um, Nathan and Danny are pushing me to build, and I mean it, they're pushing me, to build, a, to, to build out a discipleship program. And I said, I don't want just a program. I want it to be like Jesus did it. And we talked a little bit about this other service. And so we met, and it really was an exciting conversation because we still really started thinking of ways to take people from new believer or very little knowledge of God's Word all the way full circle from that to Bible study to learning how to plan a church, but use that for evangelism, and all the way to then going out and doing the outreach themselves, all within a year and a half time, taking somebody from that point, and them being confident. And what I believe when we talked about it, I said, you know, I've been hammering on this, and I think the missing piece of this conversation is that I'm expecting people to do what God's Word says, and some of you may not want to say, but I don't feel confident I know how to do that. I don't know if I know God's Word enough to do that. And that's where the church, we need to come together. If that's the issue, we need to come together and we need to learn God's word enough that you feel confident that you go out and share God's word. But I'll always say, at the end of the day, when, God, when Jesus came and healed the blind man, the blind man ran telling everybody, I met Jesus, I was blind, now I'm healed. You always have a testimony and people can come to know the Lord and you don't have to have every scripture memorized in the Bible for people to know that there's hope and there's something different about you and they want that. And that, that's the key. I'm so far off notes here, but we're, we're close enough. We'll just go with it. So here's the thing. I grew up being told, my dad preached this. I've heard it from so many ministers before. The big thing is, is whether people see something different in us than the world, as we call it. That just means everybody that's not us, right? Everybody doesn't know Jesus. But, or Pastor Brian calls him the sot, because God is always seeking to save the lost. So the sot, and we're supposed to do like him. So... What I'm asking you is this. How many like to work a dead-end job where you do the same thing over and over again and you never see any, ever, any, any benefit from it? You know, think about the guy in the assembly line that they're building a car, right, but all he does is pack grease in the bearings. I pack grease in bearings every day. I see cars driving around out there, but I really don't ever know what, you know, I'm not sure where all my bearings go. You know, I mean, it's kind of like that. Is we know God's word. We know that he wants us to go out and make disciples. And, and we, we think we're doing it, but we just never see any benefit of what we do. Listen, some, uh, some plant, some water, and some reap. But the guy that sows gets a little bit of joy out of knowing that 
one day this is going to produce something, right? One day this is going to grow and be something. And, and we've got to find the joy in making disciples, knowing that one day we'll stand in heaven and we'll look and there'll be people there because of us. Well, here's the thing with this story. They thought that as soon as they put the last brick in the building that the presence of God would be there, but God's presence didn't, presence didn't physically enter Jerusalem until Jesus came. And that was almost 500 years later, so God kept His promise. What the Israelites forgot was that God never said it would happen immediately after the temple was finished. He said that it, would happen, it wouldn't happen until... He just said that it would, wouldn't happen until the temple was finished, but that's an important distinction. That it wouldn't happen immediately. That it, it's just like when President Kennedy gave a speech to Congress. He challenged and, and Congress accepted for us to go to the moon and return safely. But before the end of the decade, he gave that speech in 1961. 1962 comes and goes. 1963 comes and goes. 1964 comes and goes. And we have a disaster after disaster in the Mercury Redstone 1 launch failure, the Apollo 1 fire. Finally, in July of 1969, we make it to the moon with only five months to spare. Congress kept their promise to President Kennedy. We made it to the moon and brought all three astronauts safely back to Earth before January 1st, 1970, but barely. I'm sure everyone wanted it to happen sooner. While we were building up the moon, the Soviet building up building up to the moon, the Soviets had the first man in space, the first man to orbit the Earth, and the first woman in space. I'm sure it seemed like we're losing the space race. And here's here's the thing: when when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped foot on the moon, the space race was essentially over. We had won. When Jesus was born, the waiting was over. God had won. God's promises were fulfilled. And when God promises you something, He'll make it happen. He won't necessarily make it happen immediately. In fact, probably won't happen immediately, but keep working at it. And be, don't be like the Israelites and just give up. I think about our story at New Song, and some of you have heard it, some of you maybe not, and know, but before, 10 years before New Song started, Lynn Blankenship, God spoke to her and said, one day your husband will go and build a church, and he won't finish it. He'll die a young man, but a spiritual son would. And they were in Indiana, and they had building projects that kept being delayed. And so she had this torture of, is this year my, dad, my husband's going to die? Is this year? And all the way up, and to the point she'd almost kind of forgotten about it. Not forgotten about it, just thought, maybe I heard wrong. And they move all the way here to Arkansas to start New Song Church. And a year and a half into it, he gets sick. And two months later, he's dead. And you know the rest of the story. That's why I stand here today. I was in their youth group. I was like one of their kids. You know, you know, you think about that, and sometimes we do things in the church and we think, I, well, I get tired of that and I don't really see the benefit, so it's really not my thing. But what if Pastor Jim and Sister Lynn had felt that same way? They said they were worn out in Indiana. They're tired of doing church as usual, but what if they just gave up? What if they just said, well, I'm not seeing any benefit right now, so I'm just going to quit. I'm just packing the grease and the bearings, but I see other churches out there. I see other cars out there. I see... I see things that it seems like that's actually doing something, but really I just feel like I'm doing nothing. I'm just packing grease in the. God wants us to realize that everything we're doing for the kingdom, He will. He, if we plant anyway, He'll help it to grow. He'll send somebody else to water. He'll send somebody else to reap. But it will happen. We have to trust Him and know that His word's true. That that we look at some things as failures just because we weren't the first one to do it. 
I mean, think about it from a pastor's point of view. We've been across the street from a Baptist church over there. Now, I'm good with him. I like Mike, but I'm just going to tell you, this is how I could look at this. We've been across the street, neck and neck. We started about the same time. We've both been in rental facilities. We've been kind of growing and doing the same thing. And we both start building. I'm just, we're just behind them. They get started first. And I start talking to him. I find out we're building 11,000 square foot. He's building 13,000 square foot. We're building a wood frame construction building. He's building a steel building that will have higher ceilings. You know, there's, there's a real easy thing to say, you know what? Well, <clears throat> if God thought it was so important for us to build out there, then why does there have to be another church just down the street where people can go there? And I don't really feel this way. I'm just telling you, it can go that way, you know? And, and we can just give up. We can say, well, I don't see why I'm so needed. I was having a discussion with Dave Donahue. He's been helping out there, and we were talking about he, uh, he was going to do ribs for the, for the inmates and I was real busy, and, and uh, he was asking me questions about, you know, can we, you know, can, do we need to do this? Do we need to do that? And I said, hey, man, this is your deal. You do the ribs. I got to do this. And, and we had a discuss, discussion, and I told him, I said, you know what I've realized is that for so long, I've held my thumb on things where everything had to go through me to where now I need to build a team where people just take and run things, and I've got to undo what I did. What I, what I didn't do is trust God enough that as we needed people to do things, he would send them, and if I could equip them and send them and get them going, then we could build and grow and reach more people. But, you know, if something failed, I'd just think, well, that's why I need to do it myself. If, if we, we tried something that didn't work the first time, well, that's, that needs me to do it then. And Jen's smiling because she's been preaching at this for a while. I said, hey, Jen says, hey, if, if other people can't do it, then it just won't get done. I said, no, 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 I can do this, and, and trying to make it happen. But then I would wear myself out, and I'd get discouraged. I'm like, God, what am I doing? I can't do anything. I don't know if you, some of you remember the discussion I had about the reason that Jesus used the example of my burden is easy, my yoke is light. You might remember that. If you're here before, you remember. Remember I talked about the fact that that's just not talking about a couple of ox together with a piece of wood across you know, that'd, like, that'd be like saying that um, you're going to go use a tractor to build a garden, but you don't need the wheels on the tractor. Th those were fine-tuned pieces of machinery, really. It was a piece of wood, but it was fine-tuned to fit the animal. Because think about from the animal's point of view. If they're pulling, that thing doesn't fit them right, and it rubs sores, how long will they pull hard? So they would put it on, it was made for a specific, specific animal, and they'd shape it, right? Some of you have heard this so many times, but I'm just telling you. They'd shape it. And if it started wear on the, they'd watch it, if it wore on the animal a certain way, they'd shape it again. And it was meant for two, and they had to make it just perfect for two. And so that way they could get the most out of it, because that's their livelihood. They're farming for a living, and that was their way to farm. So the most expensive piece of equipment was their animals. And so Jesus says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now was he saying that when you do work for Jesus, it's all easy? And there's no, no, what he's saying is, if he's the one that has you do it, it's perfectly tuned for you. If he asks you to do something, it's perfectly made for you so that you can handle it. And if you are feeling like you are worn out and can't do anything for Jesus anymore, then maybe you are doing things he never asked you to do, or you try to, or you try to do it without him. Because he made his yoke for you and him. And maybe you unstrapped Jesus somewhere along the way and you just left him. And so now you're trying to pull the weight that was meant for him to pull with you. Or, you're doing some, you're, or it was not made for you to begin with at all. 
And so you're wearing yourself out. You're, you're wearing sores on yourself. That's why right now in the United States there are more churches closing than ever before, more ministers leaving the ministry than ever before because of that principle is they're, they're either carrying burdens they weren't meant to carry or they've unstrapped Jesus somewhere along the way and they're carrying it all by themselves. And so when you look at the encouragement of the children of Israel, if they had ever learned just to stay strapped to their Lord and Savior, to only carry the burdens he asked them to do, and they'd get straight off and he'd have to bring correction. And just like the space program, they felt like failures over and over again. But here's the thing, it didn't matter what Russia was doing, did it? Did they have any control over what Russia did? No. The space programs for each was for their own people to accomplish great things. And if they had just been happy with that, then maybe they wouldn't be so pushed, they wouldn't have made the mistakes they made, but they carried a burden that maybe wasn't made for them. Maybe us in the United States carried burdens that were never meant for us, and God was trying to call us as a nation to just carry what he called us to do, and that was to be a Christian nation and to win more for Christ. And we started competing with people who didn't know God. So this is our challenge tonight is, will we... Will we, not just in this building, will we realize that God has called us for a specific time, for a specific thing here, and that if you continue just to pack the grease in the, in the bearing, and maybe that to you, if I translate that to you, maybe it's, hey, look, I've been stuck in this rut. I'm coming and sitting in a pew every service. I hear good things, but I, I still am not finding my place in ministry. I'm still not finding a place to serve. I'm going to tell you that you're going to get tired of that. You're going to get worn out. It's going to get old, and you'll find yourself in a spot where now I've got to find something that, that fulfills me. And you might try another church. You might try something else. And wherever God wants you, I'm all for it. You know, New Song is not the only place God is moving. But at the same time, I'd hate for you to keep trying to learn that lesson over and over and over that God has called us to do great things for him. It may not be going to the moon and back. It may be a lot simpler than that, but if one thing he has told us for sure is make disciples. And if you look around, there's plenty of seats to fit them, even in this building. Every service, we have room for more people. That's people with broken families, broken lives, addictions, things that they need you to bring the hope of God's word to their doorstep. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for, for this time to refocus, God. And I know that for the people, God, it, it may seem, and I struggle with you sometimes over, are we just beating the same thing over and over again? But but God, I believe that New Song, you are calling us to do more when it, when it comes to making disciples. There are people in our community who are hurting. That God, I hear all the time about the statistics about, about the people here who have broken homes. And, and Lord, the jails are filling up. And Lord, there's, there's so much strife and so much turmoil. And, and in a place that seems so successful, Lord, where homes are being built all over the place and there's progress. That God, maybe just like our nation, Maybe like the Israelites, we're again getting just a little too proud of ourselves, not realizing that there's trouble ahead if we don't refocus and come to you and ask you to help us. With every head bowed and eye closed, just tonight, I know this was a different message and, and maybe this wasn't where you feel it heading, but I don't want to end this message without an opportunity for everyone in here to have a vibrant relationship a real relationship with one true God, with the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one that can, that can deliver us, that can heal us, that can mend our lives. 
And if you're here tonight and you want me to pray for you that you could make the Lord your, your God, I want you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I pray that we all have made that decision, but we never know how much time we have here in this temporary life. And the Word of God says that when this temporary life is over, there's no more decision making when it comes to our eternity, that right now is a time. And we don't always know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't always know whether we're going to be prompted again, if we're going to shut out the Holy Spirit, or we're going to listen to that still small voice in our heart that says, I need a change. I need I've been trying to do things, so I keep failing. I, I keep trying to do things on my own, and I need the Lord's help. I'm taking on things that maybe weren't made for me, or, or I've been trying to do life without Jesus. And this is the opportunity for us to reconnect with Him. Or for the first time, totally give control over to Him. Jesus, we just thank you tonight, Lord, that, that uh, by indication, no raised hands, God, that we are, Lord, we all have a relationship with you, that, God, we are all living in right relationship with you. I pray it be so, God. I pray that we would, Lord, go after those who, not, who do not know you yet, Lord, that when our times of discouragement, like, like the children of Israel, Lord, when we think that all your promises don't count for us, that all the things that you have promised your people don't, don't belong to us, that, God, we realize that you have promised that if we follow you, that... There'll be the time when there'll be joy, Lord. There'll be joy in our lives and joy in our community, God, that we can truly live abundantly through you. God, I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts. Draw us closer together, closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. Remember, um, Sunday, be here. We've we're been in a series. We started a series in Daniel, and so excited about continuing that. So see you Sunday, 9 a.m. or 11.